This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Cello, tape, faith. Cello, tape, faith. We're in a series about what's on our heart, and for two weeks this has really been on my heart, the idea of cello, tape, faith. And uh, I hope you'll go with me on a journey tonight as I talk about some things that are on my heart and, uh, yeah, explore that as a community together. And I pray that tonight as I unpack some of the things that are on my heart, I pray you might catch something. Maybe it's something that stands out to you this evening because in some sense it's going to be a shotgun approach. I'm going to talk about a lot of things because there's a lot of things on my heart. You know, you're talking about Lewis Ramsey Jonky here. I am thinking nonstop 24-7. Uh, so there's a lot of things on my mind. It's a bit of a shotgun approach. Uh, but I pray that you'll take something. And I also hope you understand that I'm a human being, which means sometimes I have opinions that are wrong. Uh, our hearts can be wrong sometimes. But this is just what's on mine. So I want to explore together as a community some of the things on my heart. And maybe God will reveal something to us through that. I'm going to tell a story about a recent visit to a church that shall remain mainless. A good church. In fact, I was thinking about this church that I visited while I was on leave, and I thought if there was a young adult moving to the Central Coast uh, who was university age and they were a Christian, they needed friends, I'd probably recommend this church because they'd find a lot of good friends there. So a good church. Uh, And during the sermon, the pastor was speaking, and he was speaking about all manners of sin, and... uh, as part of that story, he, he had like a, uh, a vase. He was talking about a vase, like we're like a vase. And sin is like a broken vase. And he was talking about all different types of sin. And as part of his sermon, he, he said an off-the-cuff line at one point. He said, oh, but, you know, it doesn't matter how much you've sinned or how broken you are. God can put you back together. And he made a joke. He made this joke. He said, God can put you back together. It's sort of like putting you back together with cello tape, but he can put you back together. And he said it off the cuff like a joke, a few giggles around the room, and he just moved on. Uh, so to quote it exactly, God can put you back together. It's sort of like being put to get back together with cello sticky tape, but he can put you back together. So you might be thinking, why does this grind my gears? Uh, not to knock the pastor because I think he was just making a joke and I make jokes up here all the time and I'm sure some of them offend some people and we have to have grace and all pastors out there are just doing their best and uh, we should do our best to point you towards Jesus and preach from the Bible but I know we all make mistakes so let's say this guy grinded my gears uh, because I took his joke the wrong way or something along that nature or let's say what I'm saying has some weight because this, this really stuck Uh, The pastor was talking about specific sins throughout his sermon, Uh, uh, all different sorts of sins. There's lots of different sins, you know, this, you know, gossip, uh, there's sins sins of pride, there's sins about, you know, um, being unintegrous with finances, uh, sexual sin, all these different sorts of things. We're all, in some sense, broken. Sometimes we're broken because of things that we do, and sometimes we're broken because of things that other people do to us because there's just sin in the world. But let's say this pastor was specifically talking about um, uh, 
any form of sexual sin and just take that as what you believe it to mean. Say there's someone in the room who was, um, they suffered abuse as a child or at a young age before they were a Christian were engaged in a relationship where they, you know, you know, were engaged in some sort of sexual sin and then they became a Christian and they go to church. They hear a sermon all about sin and we have to, Jesus needs to cover our sin, he needs to fix us, God can make us whole. And then the pastor says, we're all broken, but God can put you back together. But it's just like putting you back together with sticky tape. Imagine being a person who was broken because of something that happened outside of your control. You would have to sit in the room with an opinion that yes, God may be able to put you back together, but you'll always be broken. You'll always have cracks. It'll always be messy and difficult. Uh, in between the bits of cello tape, you know, you'll still cut your fingers on the shards of chromaic. It really grinded my gears, this idea of cello tape faith. But I don't just want to leave it there, saying, oh, Lewis is angry at a church down the road who the pastor made a joke, because that would be dodgy. I want to unpack what I do believe about us as broken vases. So, today I brought a vase. Imagine you were this vase. (laughs) It's a good one. How much was this worth? $2.50 from Kmart. (laughs) Trust me, you're worth infinitely more to God. (laughs) Let's say there's a vase, and you are that vase, and uh, we're born into this world, and we all know that this world is sinful. Now, sinful is a pretty Christianese word. Like, we don't use sin in our everyday life. If you're not a Christian, you don't use the word sin. You might use the word mistake. You might use the word evil. You might use the word bad. You might use some sort of swear word to talk about your mate down the road who gossiped about you behind your back. You know, we don't generally use the word sin if we're not Christian. It's a bit of a Christianese word. But by that, what I mean is like there is sin in the world. And by that, I mean the world is a broken place and mistakes happen all the time. Uh, We see it in our environment with global warming. It's like the world is, you know, we're messing up the world. We're putting plastics in the ocean. When you really think about some of the stuff we do as human beings, it's like... (laughs) Sometimes I'm driving along and I'll see people throw litter out the w- window of a car. Now, I try to be non-judgmental, but in that moment, I'm pretty judgmental. I don't know what kind of a human being throws litter out. Now, to be honest, I'm all for using plastics. When they got rid of plastic bags at the shopping centre, I personally was offended. But <laughs> at least put them in the rubbish bin. You know what I mean? Don't chuck a straw out your car window. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So. We mess up the world in our environment. Uh, we do the wrong thing. We do gossip. We leal, steal. We lie and we cheat. Um, if you were to say that you've never lied, that would make you a liar and therefore you are a liar. Uh, if you were to say you would never cheat, well, look, we've all played a card game. We've all, we've all played Monopoly. We've all stolen from the bank, the Monopoly bank. LAUGHTER <laughs> And evil obviously happens all around us, and some of it's uncontrollable. I mean, in some sense, some evil that happens is because of, like, psychological issues where people have a problem with their brain. 
There are murderers out there that didn't wake up and were like, I'm going to be an awful person and murder. That does exist. But there's people that murdered because of serious mental illness and problems with the chemicals in their brain that they were born with. This world is broken. So I haven't practiced this yet, but the pastor I listen to and all the pastors I listen to and every sermon on the gospel I've ever heard is pretty accurate. We, I'm a, this is risky. She knows I'm not a man's man. She knows I need to... <laughs> I'm more of a, a musical theatre kid. Those who know me know that. So thank you, Candy, for teaching me how to use a hammer. Let's see. Should I, should I risk this? It's going to shatter everywhere. That's okay. Okay, there we go. So the world is broken and we are broken and uh, we do need fixing. That's, that's uh, undeniable because there is evil in the world or as Christians call it, there is sin in the world, the big old hammer. Sometimes we're holding the hammer, sometimes other people are holding the hammer. So what does sellotape faith look like? Now, this is where I'm going to give you three points, which are, we're going to get into the weeds a bit here because there's a million points of what sellotape faith looks like. I'm just going to give you the three that are on my mind. So I'm sorry, but go with me. What does sellotape faith look like? A faith that says, you know what? We can fix this. Uh, we as humans, we have the answer. Lewis, the Baptist church pastor at Narara Valley Baptist Church, he has the answer. All you need to do, take a piece of his sticky tape. In fact, you can take notes in his sermons on Sundays and you can you know, take it out a little bit and you can start putting your life back together. What does sellotape faith look like? Uh, point number one, I'm going to say sellotape faith can look like inauthentic prayer. I'm going to pick on myself here. I recently went to some professional development as a pastor. Uh, even pastors have to go to professional development. Uh, a three-day intensive and there were some great parts about that course. Um, it, was, it was great. But there was a moment in the course where we were given a significant amount of time to break into groups of three, me and other pastors, so other, other people with the title pastor, other people who are, you know, you know, we know what we're talking about when it comes to prayer and the Bible and we know how to do this thing. And we were just encouraged to talk to each other and hear what's going on in your life and then pray for each other. And so I'm thinking, 45 minutes, that's a long time. That is a long time to talk and to pray. I've never met these people before. So we talk for a little bit of time. We hear each other's life story, what's going on, and give each other a prayer request. And it's like, great, it's time to pray. And I'm thinking in my head, good, this is going to be quick, simple, just quick, easy prayer. We're going to get it done. We're in a group of three. And we're going to do it that style of prayer where it's like in a circle where um, this guy's going to pray for this guy and this guy's going to pray for me. And then I'm going to pray for the first guy, like in a circle. I got stuck last. The first pastor starts praying. I kid you not, he prayed for 10 minutes for this guy, for the second guy. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm not a long prayer. Like just authentically, Lewis, I, I pray short. I keep it short. I'm like, yep, thank you, Jesus. Let's bless all the people that have annoyed me this week and move on. Let's do the Lord's Prayer, get that cracked out in 20 seconds and move on. And can you guess what the second guy does? when he prays for me. He matches the first guy. In fact, he tries to beat him. <laughs> the second pastor, he's like, 
Oh, you think 10 minutes is long. Wait till I pray for you, Lewis. He gives me a 15-minute, a big theological words. It's great. And I'm sitting here thinking, what do I do? Because I just want to say, uh, God bless Pastor Bob. Amen. Let's go to morning tea. Because I could see the muffins on the table. But I don't. In that moment, and I'm ashamed to say this, as someone who carries the title pastor, I felt so much pressure to match the other two. And when I prayed, I don't think I was very authentic. But I tell you what, I said a lot of words and it sounded good. In fact, I think I outprayed number one and number two. He should have left that room thinking, look, I think he was healed of every sickness and he was going to get a big deposit in his bank account and all his friendships were going to be restored after the prayer I did. And I was thinking about this as I left. I was like, what is it in me and what is it in our culture that a bunch of pastors can sit around and try to out-pray each other? And I, I, you might just think, well, Lewis, that's probably just you. I'm sure the other two people were authentic. And maybe that's the case, but maybe it's not. Maybe in a world where we can feel so much pressure to perform and to put on the mask and to be like, yes, we are pastors. We use theological words. We pray long and we pray, we pray with intention. We pray with the, with the right words. And um, it's true, but for me, it would have been much more authentic, been much more godly. It would have been much more real for me to simply say, God bless Pastor Bob. Be with him, be with his family, and your will be done. Amen. That would have been authentic, Lewis. In fact, in my life, and I'm, I'm sorry to the rest of the pastoral team, but anytime we're in a group and we're going to start praying, I'm going to start praying short because that's what it means to be authentically Lewis and real. Maybe it's because I'm young and have a short attention span, and that's okay. That's okay. There's a passage in Matthew 6. He says, don't babble on like the pagans do. And he's literally saying, I read a bunch of commentaries and you can read them for yourself. He's literally saying, some people think God will hear them because of their many words. But God already knows what you want to pray before you even say a word. Therefore, pray like this. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's the hardest part of that prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one because the kingdom power and the glory. Amen. Jesus taught us how to pray. Pastor Travis did an awesome sermon on authentic prayer this morning and I, I would hope that you would all go home and listen to the AM service sermon because it was really good. And I um, thank Pastor Travis for his sermon on prayer. What else could, so it's like, you know, let's pray more. Let's use lots and lots of words. The more tape we use, the better. We can, you know, we can get this bit here and we can see where it matches. That is hard, isn't it? Let's just, let's, oh, let's, let's lose lots and lots and lots of words and see if we can fix, jeez, mm, sell it, you know, mm. Maybe duct tape. Okay, that'll do. Mm. Inauthentic prayer. I think that can be like sellotape faith. Number two, inauthentic care. I put together a little, um, a little essay with the help of lots of articles from around the web 
this is something that's really been on my mind inauthentic care churches can sometimes fall into the trap and, and not just pastors even though i'm guilty of this and not just our pastoral care teams even though i'm sure they fall into the trap sometimes but even just everyday people sitting in our pews can fall into this trap of like trying to provide care but sometimes it can almost feel like it's falling into um what does inauthentic care look like it almost can look a bit more like like gossip there's almost, uh, you can have bad motives, like in providing care for someone else, perhaps your motive is to be someone who holds lots of information or to look like a good person, or perhaps, um, yeah, in, in your trying to pull other people up, in your like seeing what other people are doing and you talk to other Christians about it, like, oh, we gotta pray for this person, this sort of thing. And so I put together a little essay that I wanna read for you um, that I had constructed. And uh, I wanna give you some tips some tips to notice inauthentic care, what inauthentic care looks like in a Christian context. I'm gonna read it word for word. Recognizing when pastoral care is transformed into gossip can be challenging, but here are some signs to watch for. Lack of consent. If information is shared without the individual's explicit consent or knowledge, it's a clear indication that the pastoral care may have turned into gossip. Excessive detail, when the conversation becomes excessively focused on personal details, especially those unrelated to the person's well-being or spiritual growth, or to the specific situation, it can suggest gossip. Sensationalism, if the tone of the conversation becomes sensational or overly dramatic with emphasis on scandalous or shocking information, it may indicate gossip. Frequent mention of others, when pastoral caregivers frequently mention other people's problems or issues in a way that seems disconnected from providing support or guidance, it can be a sign of gossip. Judgmental attitude. If the conversation takes on a judgmental or critical tone rather than one of understanding and compassion, it may be veering into gossip territory. Spreading information. If you notice that the same information is being shared with multiple people who are not directly involved in providing care or support, it could be a sign of gossip. Hearsay or speculation. If the information being shared is based on hearsay rumors or speculation rather than verified facts, it's a red flag. Inappropriate timing or context. Pastoral care conversations should take place in appropriate settings and context. If such discussions occur in public or in social settings where they're not suitable, it could indicate gossip. A negative impact. Pay attention to the impact of the conversation on the individuals involved. If it causes harm, distress or discord rather than offering support and healing, it may be gossip. I'm the first to admit that I have gossiped. And I know we've and all, all of us in this room may have. In my industry, in this job, I need to be really careful because not only am I bound by my faith and my integrity, but I'm also bound by the idea of confidentiality and that's in my, you know, that's my work contract. I'm really bound by this stuff. And there's been times where I, I'm sure I have failed in minimal ways. I'm not, I'm not saying uh, <laughs> there's any major, major problems. Uh, but there's also times where I've had to walk into rooms and go, we're not discussing that subject. Or I'll hear people talking and be like, ah, no, not that one, not that one. And so I just want everyone in this room to be aware that when you're sitting around with a bunch of Christians with a facade of care, talking about people who need help, and any of these things stand out to you, it may not actually be pastoral care, it may be inauthentic care, it may be gossip. I just want to encourage you to be aware of that in your own life and in the lives of all the people you talk to. If enough people ask you for this, I'll send you the slide 
so that you can reflect on it further. But this one is, is important to me because I know it can be so easy to, to fall into a trap of uh, loving information and uh, having a judgmental attitude. But the Christian church should not be a judgmental place. It should be a place of authentic care. And my third point, burdens to bear. Jesus talking about uh, the Pharisees. The Pharisees, I guess, were the group of religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the educated, the people who, who stood up the front and told the people, God's chosen people, what to do. Um, he was talking to these people that we call, like to call Pharisees. Interesting statistic about the um, Jewish world is that uh, in the time of Jesus, only 3% of the Jewish population were literate. So only 3% of the Jewish population could read. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they could read. They could read the Old Testament. So it wasn't like they could tell the Jewish people, go back and read the scrolls for yourself, because those people couldn't read. Which meant the Jewish leaders could take the word of God and interpret it in ways that were wrong, just slightly wrong, and the people would have no ability to go back and check it for themselves. And so Jesus was often angry at the scribes and the Pharisees, the smart people, the educated, the ones with Bible college degrees, because he was saying you were twisting the words and you're putting it into the ears of people who have no ability to check it for themselves and you're putting it into the ears of people who have no education to understand it and they're trusting you. And he says to the Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. Some churches, not, the, not, not this church, although I'm sure some people have felt it at times or would accuse this church of it too because all churches have their faults. So I don't want to say our church is perfect and I guess I don't want to accuse other churches of being imperfect either, but this just happens in church. Sometimes people in leadership can tie up heavy burdens on people without realising it and it breaks my heart. Narara has always been a church of healing. A lot of people come to this church from other churches where they've been burnt or hurt or they've had heavy burdens tied up for them. I'm one of them. I came from a church where I would say at this point in my life, I was spiritually abused. I had heavy burdens tied up on me, hard to bear by people I trusted. And I don't want to find myself in a situation where I'm doing that to others. I don't want our church to do that to others. And I'm aware that happens in big ways. I'm also aware that it can happen in subtle ways. What might a subtle way look like? Uh, if I preach in our youth group too often, you need to read your Bible more, you need to read your Bible more, you need to read your Bible more, or maybe I puff myself up and I say something from the front like, I read my Bible every morning, I pray every single day. There might be kids in my youth ministry who are not at a stage in their faith or their life or their education or their cognitive ability to pray every day or to read the Bible. I am continually shocked by the amount of youth I meet who just cannot read. And when they open a Bible, particularly if it's a difficult translation, they just don't understand it. They can't get it. The words are too small. The words are too confusing. They just don't get it. You could be an adult. I open the Bible sometimes and I'm confused. So if you're sitting in the room taking, oh, Lewis is calling me a teenager who can't read. No, I, I'm saying sometimes I read it and I'm confused. So if you're in the room and you're like, I tried to open that book and it makes no sense to me. Well, I don't want to put a heavy burden on you where I say, read your Bible every day. This is painful and hard for you. I want to be the pastor that says, let me read it with you. Honest to 
If I will read it with you. If you need someone to pray with every day, <clears throat> tell me. And we can text each other every day a two-sentence prayer where I pray for you and you pray for me just to practice praying every day like in a two-sentence. And you can text with like, instead of writing you, Y-O-U, you can write the letter U. I don't want to put burdens on people. Because that's like facilitate faith, you know? Like, oh, let's, let's, help, um, let's help Billy, Billy Jean. We're going to help Billy Jean. You know, I saw Billy Jean the other day and they were drinking from, a, from a, a red Solo cup and I'm sure there was alcohol in it. And that's not good. And we should, we should pray for her. We should pray for Billie Jean. We should, you know, we're going we're gonna to help her. We're going to put some faith in her. We're going to tie, you know, we're going to... And you know what? And then we should tell her, we should tell her, Billie Jean, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. We're going <clears> to... <throat> And you know, you know what? Billie Jean's going to feel so good because she's put back together. Maybe with cello tape, but God can put her back together. I want to say no to cello tape faith. I showed you a country music song last week. I found another one this week. And I think the theologian Morgan Wallen, who also sings... Um, Liquor talk uh, sums this up better than I do. So, here's another song by Morgan Wallen, who is the biggest name in country music. Um, it was written for him. It's released on his new album. He does it every stadium tour. Uh, have a listen to this song. Oh, and I don't thank Jesus. Done it that way. Are y'all sure that Jesus done it that way? Well, I don't think Jesus does it that way either. I don't think Jesus is concerned with a cellotape faith, a world of throwing stones. <laughs> that just breaks more vases. I think Jesus can put you back together. I believe that deeply. And he can put our world back together. But I don't think it's with cellotape. No. It says this in our word of God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. I don't think Jesus just puts you back together with tape. I think he takes all those shards and this truly is a miracle. You know, at Life in the Spirit, we learn about different sorts of miracles, but this is the miracle. Let me tell you the miracle. Jesus takes that stuff, he gets rid of it, and he makes you a whole new creation. Now, I'm not a good enough theologian to tell you how that works but you should go home and go to got questions and type in what does it mean that a christian is a new creation here's the first paragraph 
The new creation is described in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is a new creation, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The word therefore refers back to verses 14 to 16, where the author tells us that all believers have died with Christ and no longer live for themselves. Our lives are no longer worldly, they are now spiritual. Our death is that of the old sin nature, which was nailed to the cross with Christ. It was buried with Jesus. I believe that Jesus um, lived uh, on, in, in this planet. He was God with skin and bone on. He went on the cross and he died for our sins. He, he took our punishment. That's what I believe. He was nailed to the cross with Christ. It was buried with him. And just as he was raised up by the Father, Jesus rose again from the dead three days later. We celebrate that at Easter. It's also a great day to get chocolate, but we are celebrating that Jesus rose again. Raised up by the Father, so we are raised up to walk in newness of life, as said in other parts of the Bible. That new person was raised up is what the author refers to in 2 Corinthians 5.17 as a new creation. And you might have questions like Lewis, but I'm still sinning. Lewis, I'm still not perfect. I'm going to sin again. And, And I believe that Jesus died for our sins past present and future and that this is a miracle i don't have enough time to explain that in depth but luckily if you go to this website and you type in this question it's going to give you paragraph after paragraph about how the bible explains that to be true it is the greatest miracle it is the greatest piece of good news i don't care how broken you feel like you are because of things you've done or things that happened to you when you were a child or in high school or before you were a christian because of things your parents said to you because of things your teachers said to you because of things that your ex-partner did to you i don't care what it is that you have been through no matter how broken or smashed up you feel i believe that When you come to Jesus and put your faith in him, the old is gone, the new has come. In him, you were a new creation. You were not put together with sticky tape. Perhaps that other pastor was right and I am wrong. But this is what I preach. This is what I preach. God loves you. You don't need to pray all the right prayers. Truth is, some of you, if you try to pray like me up the front on a microphone, I've been doing speech and drama lessons for a long time. I tell you what, I could pray you all. What does Paul say? He says, well, I speak in tongues as much as the rest of you. And I guess I'll I'll say something like this. I pray as much as the best prayers in the world and I pray better than the best prayers in the world. You should hear me pray when I get on a microphone and I'm trying to show off. It's not right. I don't know what your prayer is. Perhaps your prayer is going home, lying in bed after a day where you've been suffering with whatever you've been suffering with and going, God, help me. Tell you what, that prayer is just as meaningful, perhaps more so than anything I can do with my fancy words. And you don't need to get caught up in in, inauthentic care where a bunch of Christians get together and we discuss other people's lives. (laughs) No, no. This is real, true, helping people. That's what our church should be like and is like in a lot of ways. I know our church is doing good, good care. Good, good care. And uh, you don't need heavy burdens laid upon you. You can ask for help from pastors like me, from your leaders in this church. You can ask for help. 
We want to help you. Because what Jesus says to those leaders is he says, you lay on heavy burdens, but you're not willing to lift a finger yourself. I don't want to just lay on the burden of you should read your Bible every day. I want to say, I want to help you. So if you're like someone who's just like, I want to read my Bible, but I can't, let me help you. In fact, I've got a dream one day to record an audio Bible because every single audio Bible I've ever listened to has been terrible. But I want to lift a finger. Tell you what, it would take me a lot of hours to record an audio Bible. But I reckon I could record one that youth might actually listen to. (laughs) When the day comes, it's going to be good. It's like a dream of mine to record a good audio Bible because they all suck. It was like, well, I want to help. I want to lift the burden. Why would I tell you to read a Bible every day or listen to an audio book when I'm telling you, the pastor, I can't find a good one on this planet? Maybe I should lift a finger and record one myself. In fact, I have recorded the book of Mark. You can find it on the Lewis Jonker podcast. Uh, You can listen to the whole book of Mark. It goes for 45 minutes. And uh, if you're struggling to read the Bible, then just go home and type in Lewis Jonker podcast and type the book of Mark. And uh, I read it to you word for word. It takes 45 minutes. There you go. There's your Bible reading done for this next week. Let me help you. You don't need all that stuff. You, you need Jesus. The Jesus I know, well, he makes me whole. And I know what it means to be broken. But I stand before you as someone who genuinely believes that the old is gone, the new has come. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm not a slave to the evil in the world. I'm not a slave to bad. I'm, I'm no longer darkness in this world. I am light because of what Christ did for me, because of nothing that I do. I'm useless, I'm horrible, but Jesus has made me whole. That's what I believe. I think you should believe the same thing, and that's what's on my heart. In Christ, you are a new creation. I'm saying no to sellotape faith. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.